Good morning, everyone. Today is the best day, isn't it? Today is the best day. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's so good to be together in the house of the Lord, worshiping God on this great resurrection day. And I want to thank the children for helping to lead us in worship this morning. That was wonderful. Uh, we, the children are staying with us during the worship service this morning, which is not always the case. So we're glad to have you with us. Uh, if I don't answer all of the questions in my sermon on Mr. Dan's question form, you can come and talk to me after the service. That'll be perfectly fine. So I talked to uh, some trusted consultants this morning at my home about when children are in the sermon, what's the best way to go about it. And I was told that it should not be too short and it should not be too long. So that's what I'm going for today. Not too short, not too long, and we'll see how we do. So anyway, thanks for everybody being here. Last year, I was speaking to a friend about the dilemma for preachers of preaching on Easter because there's sort of pressure to say something new or novel. And I said, how do you say something different than what has already been said? What, what is there that has not already been said on Easter Sunday? And he gave me this great word of wisdom. He said, just say what's already been said. Just say what's already been said. That's what we need to hear on Easter Sunday. And so I was thinking about that, and in more liturgical traditions, there is a phrase that they use when we take the Lord's Supper, the, the sacrament that we're going to celebrate later today. It said, when we, when we take communion, we declare the mystery of faith, which is that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so whatever else you take away from today, I pray that you will go home today with this in your minds and in your hearts, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. This is the good news of the gospel that we are celebrating here this morning, this mystery of faith. So we're going to be looking at a passage from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning, a passage that will be familiar to, to most of you. And you can turn there if you'd like or just follow along. But let's pray before we read God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for today. We thank you for all that is bound up in what happened 2,000 years ago. That your son died on the cross for our sins, taking our sin upon himself so that we might have new life in him. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our ears and our hearts to receive that message again today. Whatever you have to say to us this morning by your Holy Spirit, we pray that we would be open to receive it. We pray that now you would bless this reading of your holy word and that you would apply it to our hearts and our minds. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting at verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. 
So the women hurried away from the tomb afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, and they clasped his feet, and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things I love about the Bible, especially when we're looking at the Gospels, is that we have these four different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all tell the story of the resurrection, but each one tells the story a little bit differently from their own perspective. And each one tells the story of Jesus' resurrection. They're all worth reading and pondering on their own terms. But what I appreciate about Matthew's version that we just looked at is just the simplicity of it. It's just 10 short verses, and it's pretty straightforward. He doesn't elaborate a whole lot. He doesn't go into lots of different details. He just sort of said, this is how it happened. It's very action-oriented. He hits these points. These women, the two Marys, they come to see the tomb of their dead friend, Jesus Christ. But when they get there, he's not there. And instead, they're met by an angel who says, he is not here. He has risen, just like he said. Just like he said. Last week I asked you when we were looking at Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry to use your imaginations to engage with the story. I'd encourage you to do that again with this story and look through what's happening. I think sometimes it's easy to lose sort of the the awe and the mystery and even the craziness of what was going on on that first Easter Sunday. I love the song that the children just sang. It says, life can be crazy, wild, and amazing. What better description is there than it was crazy and wild and amazing? These women show up at the tomb, and there's this huge earthquake, and an angel comes down from heaven and rolls the stone away, and all of the guards that are there pass out because they're so afraid, and then the angel speaks to the women and says, he's not here. He is risen, and Jesus isn't in the tomb that had been sealed, and then all of a sudden, they're greeted by their dead friend, the one who they had seen die on the cross. There he is, alive again, and he says, greetings. (laughs) very, very just sort of, hello, good to see you. What must that have been like for these women? Imagine if this had happened to you, if you had been in their shoes. What would it have been like? They get to see the risen Christ on the day that he came back to life. And that's what we are here to remember and celebrate this morning. In fact, it's the reason that people all over the world have gathered already today to worship. It's the reason that people have gathered on this morning for 2,000 years of Sundays in order to worship the risen Jesus I love that image, that people have been gathering for 2,000 years of Sundays, give or take, in order to worship the risen Christ, starting on that first Easter Sunday morning that we just read about with these two women. They saw the risen Christ, and they grabbed his feet, and they worshiped him. And we are a part of that legacy as we gather here today to worship the risen Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, had been crucified, he was buried, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Amen.
When I was coming through high school or secondary school, I studied Latin. Did anybody in here study Latin as they were coming through? Some people did. Okay, so we, had, we have a few Latin speakers in here. And one of the things that our teacher did was she would teach us phrases that came directly from Latin that we still use today, that are still in common usage in the English language. And there was one that has always stuck with me as I've thought about the resurrection. It's a, a phrase that is called this, sine qua non, sine qua non. Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? Okay, sine qua non, it means without which there is nothing. Without which there is nothing. It's one of these phrases, like I said, I think about when I think of the resurrection, and and what it means is that there's an essential quality or condition that something has. If you take it away, you will have something completely different or you will have nothing left. So as an example, a chocolate chip cookie, okay? I can't take credit for this illustration, I found it online. A chocolate chip cookie. If you take away the chocolate chips, whatever you have left, it is not a chocolate chip cookie, okay? So this is what this idea means. And Christianity without the resurrection, whatever you are left with, it is not the Christianity of the New Testament. It is not the Christianity of the Bible that we read. It's not the gospel that we were shared with by Jesus Christ that's been passed down through 2,000 years of Christian faith. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, if he did not truly rise, becoming alive again physically in his body, then all the rest of what we believe as Christians falls apart. There is nothing left. Or whatever we're left with, it is not Christianity as we've known it. Now, some of you might argue and say, well, no, you know, even if Jesus didn't actually come back to life, we would still have his moral teachings. He was a great moral teacher, right? And he taught us how to love one another well, to be good, to live self-sacrificing lives, okay? And, And great. Or you might say, well, all of these rules that Jesus taught us or the way that he showed us by his life, it's a good grounding for society. And the way that we live with each other in community is better if we follow these rules. Okay, But the reality is that without the resurrection, we are left with something completely different. This is the sine qua non of what we believe as Christians. I like the way that the pastor and writer Frederick Beekner said it, and this is what he says. He says, we can say that the story of the resurrection means simply that the teachings of Jesus are immortal, like the plays of Shakespeare or the music of Beethoven, and that their wisdom and truth will live on forever. Or we can say that the resurrection means that the spirit of Jesus is undying, that he himself lives on among us, the way that Socrates does, for instance, and the good that he left behind him, and the lives of all who follow his great example. Or we can say that in the language which the gospels describe the resurrection of Jesus, it's the language of poetry. But there is no poetry about it. Instead, it is simply proclaimed as a fact. Christ is risen. In fact, the very existence of the New Testament proclaims it itself. Unless something very real indeed took place on that strange and confused morning, there would be no New Testament, no church, no Christianity. 
He goes on to say this, if I thought that when you strip it right down to the bone that this whole religion business is really just an affirmation of the human spirit, an affirmation of moral values, or an affirmation of Jesus of Nazareth is the great exemplar of all time and no more, then I, like Pilate, would wash my hands of it. The human spirit just does not impress me that much, I'm afraid. And I have never been able to get very excited one way or the other about moral values And when I have the feeling that someone is trying to set me a good example, I start edging toward the door. The Apostle Paul expresses it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. It is in vain. And you are still in your sins. And then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are above all people to be pitied. What both Beekner and Paul are saying is that the message of the gospel goes much deeper than just teaching us to be good people or the best versions of ourselves. It's not about being a good foundation for society. It's about God saving his people. It's about God saving his people. The message of the gospel is that God looked down on humanity, on the people that he created us, those he created in his own image, and he loved us. He loved us. And even in all of our pride, in all of our foolishness, in all of our rebellion, and in all of our sin, God looked down on us and he loved us. And he looked down on us and he saw that we were a total mess left to ourselves and our own devices, that our natural tendency is for everyone to go their own way and to do what is right in our own eyes, as the book of Judges says. And yet God looked down on us and he loved us and he chose not to leave us that way, but he chose to rescue us instead. God loved us so much that he made a covenant with us He bound himself to us, making a relationship with us, a for better or for worse kind of relationship, promising never to leave us or forsake us, no matter how many times we may leave or forsake him. And in order for God to fulfill his side of the covenant, he himself came to us through his son, Jesus Christ, his beloved son, and he entered into all of the messiness and all of the toil and all of the pain of this human life that we all go through day in and day out and experienced it all for himself, going all the way to death. Jesus came down into this world and allowed himself to seemingly be defeated by it, to be put to death in his body on a wooden cross. And for a very brief time, it seemed that death had won that Jesus' life had ended in death, just like it does for every other person. For a brief time, it seemed that death was going to have the final say over his life too. And without the resurrection, that's what we would be left with. Jesus still in the tomb. Death gets the final say. Our sins are not forgiven. We have not been saved in that version of the story. This life is all there is, and so we better hope that it's a good one. We live in a world where so often it seems that death is going to have the final say. 
We can look around us and see so much brokenness and not just see it, but we experience it ourselves. Strained and broken relationships, estranged loved ones, feelings that we carry every day of anger and of fear and of selfishness, people with patterns of sin and addiction. I don't know all that each of you carries with you this morning, but I know what I carry with me this morning. And I know that all of you are carrying something as you come here today, something that maybe it seems like death is going to have the final say over it in your life. And this is all on top of world events that seem so much out of our control that we have nothing to do, we can't fix them. Maybe it's just a general sense of malaise as you go through life, of just muddling through, of wondering if this is really all there is. And then there's simply physical death. The deaths of our loved ones and even eventually for ourselves. It's seemingly the end game for everyone that life ends in death. You're born, you live for a while, and then you die. Without the resurrection, we live this life as if it's on Holy Saturday, that day between the crucifixion and the resurrection, where for Jesus' followers, at least, there didn't seem to be much hope that tomorrow was going to be any different from today. This is what maybe the two Marys were experiencing as they showed up at the tomb on that first Easter They believed that death had had the last word on Jesus' life. But then they go to the tomb, and Jesus is not there. And instead, they are greeted by this angel who says, he is not here, he is risen, just as he said, just as he said. And then they are greeted by the risen Jesus Christ, alive again, resurrection, Resurrection, which upends the whole idea that death has the final say over life. Because the risen Christ says to us, no, no, there is more. There is more to this life. Life doesn't end in death. It's the other way around. Through me, through me, death ends in life, new life. We still see death around us. The brokenness of the world isn't all fixed, but because of the resurrection, we can say with the Apostle Paul, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? We still mourn in this life, but we do not mourn as those who have no hope because death does not have the final say, and Jesus Christ does. And Jesus Christ says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full that you might have it abundantly. After the two Marys in our passage today meet the risen Jesus, their lives were never the same after that. And the lives of the other disciples were never the same after that. And the world itself has never been the same after that day because the son of the living God had been crucified and brought back to life. He had crossed over from death to life. And there's an invitation for us in another one of the Gospels that comes from the Gospel of John. In chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus is teaching and he says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life.
Friends, that invitation is here for you today, that you can put your trust in the words of Jesus Christ. And if you do, then you also will have crossed over from death to life. Jesus says, believe in my words, trust in me, trust in my Father who sent me. Believe in my death and resurrection, and you too will cross over from death to life. And then your world will be transformed because you can live trusting that death isn't where all of this ends. It wasn't for Jesus. And because it wasn't for Jesus, it doesn't have to be for us either. Friends, this is what God wants for you more than anything else. Not to be good people, not to fix all of the world's problems, but to find true life in him. To know the joy of sins forgiven, to live in the hope of resurrection with the assurance that in Christ, the way to eternal life has been opened to you as well. This is what Easter is all about. This is what Resurrection Day is all about. It is worth building your life around. And in fact, friends, if this is true, it is the only thing worth building your life around. And it is true. It is true. I'd like to end our sermon this morning with another word from Frederick Buechner. This is what he says. The proclamation of Easter Day is that all is well. And as a Christian, I say this not with the easy optimism of one who has never known a time when all was not well, but as one who has faced the cross in all of its obscenity as well as in all of its glory and who has known one way or another what it is like to live separated from God. In the end, his will, not ours, is done. Love is the victor. Death is not the end. The end is life, his life, and our lives through him, in him. Existence has greater depths of beauty and mystery and benediction than the wildest visionary ever dared to dream. Christ our Lord has risen. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God and heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks. And we give our praise to you for the gift of new life in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have set us free from death, from sin, from everything that would hold us down and hold us back in this life. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we might trust and believe in you, in your words, in the one who sent you, our heavenly father. Lord, we want to know the full life that is being offered to us through you. So we pray, Lord, fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Once again, we ask this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.